everybody. Welcome to the Actual Garbage <laughs> Podcast. Consumption Log Bebo Bop. I'm your host, David Paddock. Uh, to my cross for me, we've got Nicole Paddock. Hello. And to her left, we have Ryan Riley. Yes. The original gang of movie crew is back. Woo! And yes. we are here to discuss... No freeloaders today. <laughs> the wages of fear. Salaire de la peur. Ryan, take it away. Ah, this motherfucking movie is something that we discovered, Nicole and I... Some of the years ago, uh, back off of Mills, got off the Film Society. This is a uh, Clouseau film. He is also famous for Diabolique, but Wages of Fear is one I chose a little bit before this. Now, if you enjoy action movies, if you enjoy thrillers, then you have to understand that the establishing ideas and techniques for the modern thriller, for the modern action drama, come from this time period. Now... I will. I will. What is the time period? So, okay, this is from the 1950s, but I will. I will say that I am. I am slightly less hipsterish, in the fact that I did not choose Treasure of the Sierra Madre, which does have. This is John Huston as well. Who? Yeah, uh, it, they, the two are compared as early early thrillers. You know, as terms of like having characters that have nothing going for them that mm-hmm. take on something very dangerous to get some pay dirt in the end. Mm-hmm. But John Huston, who did Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Uh, what I want to go, try to do, discuss a little bit in terms of its of the filmmaking of this movie is I think what we kind of assess to be this more what what makes it kind of not revolutionary but j- like genre defining and Treasure of the Sierra Madre and uh, both uh, the Wages of Fear do kind of have a unique approach and a and an expansive approach that has had a lot of influence on film. So rather than dealing with the technical aspects, I think it would be good to maybe get to the story of the film itself. And then kind of move through there. And I, if we could as well, I think divide the film into two broad parts, which is the initial setup or in the inside the town, and then the last hour or uh, hour and fifteen minutes of the film, which is the actual actiony uh, tension thriller part of the movie. So you guys are, are you guys willing to go with me on this on this drive? Um. Okay. Sure. Now it, it's funny because I know this is this is credited as a thriller. Um. I get very little of the thriller part out of this movie. I really enjoyed the first... Okay, I really enjoyed the first hour of this film. And the first hour of this film is completely set up. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's actually... The action part of the movie is is four men driving trucks full of nitroglycerin across a rainforest. Um, That does not get started till exactly... One hour and three minutes into the film. (laughs) Um, The entire beginning of the film is set in a very isolated town somewhere in Latin America. It's not specified exactly. It is it is almost aggressively unspecified yeah, where this is. Yeah, it's it's we know it's Latin America, but it's not it's not a specific place. Yeah. In theory it could be any shithole town in Latin America. Yes. And the and thing that's is, the power of it. This this town is very isolated and the one thing that it has is the is an oil company and most of the people in this town are either a employed by said oil company or they are not employed by the oil company but have no way of leaving the town yes. so they're essentially vagrants with no way out mm-hmm. or tramps as yeah, the well movie they become to. they become tramps essentially because they're they have no way of making a living because there's no other industry in this town except for this oil company. Mm-hmm. So if you don't get a gig with them, you're pretty much stuck because you can't afford to pay the customs agent off to get out of the area. Right. 
Um, and you can't go by foot because it's so isolated. And it's apparently very, very cheap to get there. Yes. Um, yes. But very expensive to leave. Yes. I mean, one of the the heel of the movie, Joe, uh, who shows up in lavish fashion, and even he starts his first act after getting off the plane is to bribe the customs agent in the least clandestine way possible. Like the the, the camera, you you it requires absolutely no putting it together. He takes out his passport. Holds a ten dollar bill in his other hand, and he just places it there in plain view of everyone in front of him. Yes, yes. And the audacity of that would imply something about him that the movie then goes on to almost completely disconfirm. But he is, um, he he seems like he should have been an impetus in this movie for more events than actually occurred, which I actually think is kind of a weird. What's funny is is he's, nuance to his character. Yeah, he's actually just as much of a vagabond, a vagabond as the other characters, but he tries to present himself as though he is more than that, at least on a facade level. Like when he walks into the town, he's like, "Oh, give me the table and put it on my tab." Well, he doesn't have yeah. any fucking money. Just like every, nobody else in this town has any money. But everybody in this town is a pushover. But it's it's just funny because his his character, and they even set it up this way because he's got connection. He apparently has connections to one of the guys who works for the Southern Oil Company. Yes. Um, but the plot of the movie, as as Ryan described, the drive that happens in the second half of the movie. Is not it's almost deliberately not set up by Joe. Joe almost wants the job and is forced. I he ends up having to kill someone yes. just to get the job. Yes. Like his his pulling strings only works with the bartender. It only works in the most just social of environments. And that I guess will be point number one on the uh, <laughs> the the capitalist rant that this movie is essentially on is that. Uh, the only thing Joe manages to buy himself into is the actual uh, is getting off the plane with the customs agent because as soon as he's out of money and apparently he is now because he spent his last fifty dollars on the ticket on the ticket to get to the place um, as soon as the money runs out his capitalist friend is no longer a friend yeah. in any sense of the word uh, the I I don't know if they I assume they give the guy a name the director. The director of operations, the one that actually gives them the job. O'Brien. Oh, uh, yeah, O'Brien. Yeah. Oh, O'Brien. Yeah. Yeah. He, that, is, he is the he is the kind of manager, if you will, of this uh, oil company that is in the town uh, that these guys have uh, you know get the job from. And yeah. history or no, that man does no one any favors. Right. It no, I, he's 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 pretty cutthroat. Um, and he tr it's funny because he he tries to he's like, oh, I would have gone on this drive if I was younger. Two thousand bucks is good money, but I mean, he doesn't give a fuck. Yes, yeah. at the end of the day, <laughs> it's just because I think that the way you're established, you know, you're established into this world, and the town itself is this. It's this one of the things I saw described as an existential thriller, and I, you know, I guess this is kind of true, but because the town itself is both. It is on the map, and yet it is at the end of the line, and yet off the map. It there is, you know, you mentioned the idea that there's just a kind of flaunting of the law, and so there's no. It's not like there's laws, but there's no real law. I mean, you can do what you can get away with, and no one will really kind of question you otherwise. The there is an aimlessness to the overall way in which these men who find themselves at the end of the line are, and you only go to the end of the line unless you're leaving or running away from something. But then when you find yourself there, you're not able to escape the point or the, you know, the reason or the whole point of why you wanted to get away. I mean, these men are trapped. As you said, it's cheap to get there. It's hard to leave. 
It's it's and then once you find yourself almost trapped or encapsulated in this area, they just you know you call them tramps, but they once again they're, they're learned tramps. I mean, if there was a way to get out, you'd assume they already have found it. But no, they are and find themselves con- contained in this town, this area, and it's just slowly just waiting the days out. And you know the we, the first scene of the movie, I mean, the first shots of the movie opens up on a child playing with cockroaches that they have that the child is tied together with string. Yes. And that I think once again you set up if you want the first visual of your movie, cockroaches tied together in a string really sets up this hey, idea. And that, I want to I want to point out too it's a it's a mostly naked child because um this film does hit a lot of important foreign film notes yeah. which <laughs> st- it starts with naked children and animal abuse mm-hmm. which is two tropes that you have to have if you're going to yes. go foreign. Yeah. Um, Why else would you film somewhere else? Yeah. yeah. Um, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, but I do like what I, my favorite part of this damn movie is basically the hour long setup of just how destitute the situation is for these people. I mean, they're, they're oppressed, you know, it has a strong anti-capitalist theme in it. So these people are essentially oppressed by the oil company that is ravaging their land, um, you know, but they're also, and they're also, like, the people that can get a job are getting killed all the time, and Mm -hmm. the the company doesn't really seem to care. In the interest of circumventing the company's own unions. Yeah. And the only only respite they have is in community, Mm -hmm. is in the social world they build around them, which, in which money... Never visibly changes hands. Well, he once. Yeah, he. But he doesn't. You got to imagine too that there's a scene where the. Uh, okay, let's just let's just get <laughs> I the know, plot. There's so many okay. like different. Parts let's just get the plot over. down here. Okay, these these guys for one for all intents and purposes, um, not indigenous. I mean, you find yourself here. The the tramps are foreigners. The town itself has a cadre of local citizens. There is a foreign oil company that is conducting, you know, doing what they do, oiling, I guess. And they, and they are um, outside the town. Now, what happens is, is a well expl- uh, well catches fire and explodes. And then, and if you, 300 miles away from the town. Yeah, if you don't know oh, anything. See, I didn't, I didn't even want to get there. We had we have 45 minutes before that happens. Yes, but I want to just kind of set up this idea that, um, because when you, you mentioned before, this, if we're going to kind of set up the reason or the ideas of the anti-capitalism that are within the film, which I see, but I'm not... I mean, it's just a lar- It's just a theme that runs through it in general, which is that I think that there's a lot more going on about the nature of, especially masculinity. I mean, Clouseau is French, so you know, there's a, lo- a large stream of masculinity that, masculinity that runs through this. And what I wanted to kind of set up was that there is this, there is a, a there are locals that live in this town. But these guys, these tramps that find themselves there are not locals. They are unconnected to anything that happens around that town. And that kind of, once again, enforces this idea of isolation that they experience. Because when the well explodes, they, they there's a huge meeting that goes on, and these people are visibly upset that their, their friends, their families, their brothers have been hurt and killed and wounded in the service of the oil company. And they feel obviously aggrieved and frustrated that it always seems that it's their families and their and the local people that are affected by the by the actions of the oil company. And so that I think it sets up a dichotomy there that these guys, these tramps, are isolated and cannot leave and are not accepted. I mean they are they are the other. They are disembodied, dis- disembodied not disembodied, yeah, and, they are distra- dis- distanced from well, the Yeah, they, they are separate from the community. I mean the community does not appreciate them because they're basically 
freeloaders. Like mm-hmm. they don't have money to pay for the you know, pay for anything at the bar, which they spend all their time at. Right. And they yeah. don't contribute anything to the community, essentially. Yes. Yeah. And the tramps are bankrolled almost entirely by a handful of people who do work for the oil industry. Yeah. Specifically, yeah. Uh, what was the name of it? Luigi and who was his partner in the truck? Bimba. Oh, Bimba. Yeah. So the four yeah. main characters. Yeah, the, they have jobs. Yes. Yeah. They have jobs pouring concrete for the oil company. Yeah. Which, and Luigi, by the way, who's also a main character, he, uh, from inhaling so much cement dust, yeah. actually yeah. only has six to six months to a year to live. Yeah. So he actually has a death sentence from the oil company inadvertently, too, mm-hmm. throughout this whole movie. I, I think the doctor implies that if he gets away from it, he'll... He'll get a little get longer. better, but it's. Yeah, a little, I, I, assume, I assume that was kind of the impetus for him going on the ride in the first place. Yeah. Was that was to get away from that? Um, Luigi's a entertaining character, at least partially because of all the people they hired, he looks the least like an actor. He looks like they found him at a construction site. He really does. He's he not. Looks, he's not built like a thespian. He looks like a. He looks like an Italian. Um, you know, like. Uh, carpenter that would be in you know dry drywalling your house. Short, yeah, squat, mustache. He is Italian. jolly, a perfectly yeah. <laughs> racist stereotype of Italianism. Well, well, yeah, but the Germans pretty racist or, or, or pretty stereotypical. Oh, I wasn't done. German yeah. too. <laughs> I wasn't done. The, yeah, the amount of diversity <laughs> in the cast in this movie is profound. In the first hour, there are probably more ethnicities blatantly represented and languages and languages i love okay just side note i i do like movies that incorporate like multiple different languages i think that's fun and in this movie like our cast is you know whatever latin american country we're in we have americans Mm -hmm. we have germans we have italians and we have french yep Yep. And they're all kind of just muddled together, and they go back and forth in their languages. Um, you know, because some of them speak English and French, or English and German, and they're all yeah. it's it's all very mixed up. No, it is this it is this outland sense that this is this is you know like the classic Casablanca setup. You know, these yeah. are these people are refugees from somewhere else who've been running or escaping from something, and then find themselves ended up in a place that they cannot just they can't get out of, and. The kind That's of, true. You needed papers to get out of Casablanca too. Exactly, and it's just it's. But it kind of once again it sets it sets this tone, and um, I mean really it's this ennui. I mean if you if you have no opportunities and you have no prospects and you want you desire to leave but you can't, it makes no sense to kind of foster or or you know ruminate on this on your lack of prospects. And they just kind of just sit around. You know, they just exist, they're just hanging out, and they're just waiting for something to kind of come by to get them out of this or wretch them out of the situation. Well, and it's they just, make fun of that in the setup, yeah. where the guy who looks exactly like Bill Murray, who uh, <laughs> who looks like he's going to be the heel of the movie up front, because the establishing—not to digress too much, but the establishing shot mm-hmm. of the main character is him observing the Bill Murray character throw rocks at a dog, animal abuse. Animal abuse. And mm-hmm. basically look at that disapprovingly, and then go over and pet his girlfriend. Yeah, yes. he treats his, his girlfriend like a dog. Like it's pretty appalling. Yeah, <laughs> very French, very yeah. French. But the um, and of course that tangent total. Oh, oh, it was um, when Joe shows up in his nice suit and his uh, and the uh, the only saloon uh, the only saloon in town from the seams yeah. of it. Uh, Sees him, assumes he has money. Yes. Seats him at a nice table next to the radio, which he doesn't want to turn on. And um, 
takes care of him, all the rest of the patrons get annoyed at him and say they're never coming back, and they come back the next day. Yeah. There's nowhere else to go. They have nowhere to yeah, go. No. They, they, have, can't even, they can't even leave the cantina, man. Yeah, That's they, how trapped they are. They have they have no authority over over what they're doing until opportunity strikes. Yes. Yeah, yes. so so there is a there is a like I said a, a, an explosion or some sort of incident and a well of oil has been caught fire. Now, if you are unfamiliar with the technique of ending a gushing oil well that has caught fire, let me educate you, oh dear podcast listener. Nuclear warheads. Close but no cigar. The, That's Russia. The issue is is that you first must put out the fire and you cannot simply hurl water at this. What you need to do is you need to cut off the source of fuel for the fire itself. And no, not the oil, but the oxygen. oxygen. And creating a large enough explosion next to the oil well will eliminate the fire. And then you can contend or deal with the oil, uh, the, the flaming oil geyser, which is now just an oil geyser. So, in order to <laughs> eliminate this fire, the SOC, the Southern Oil Company, has hatched a brilliant plan to take two truckfuls of nitroglycerin across a, and mind you, 1950s trucks yes. with no special equipment he, over he, 300 he, miles he, of he jungle road. He specifies that they have no suspension, they're nothing yeah, fancy. They're just trucks, 1950s trucks, and they will well, and they're, they're way overbuilt for the job. I mean, they're, they're 20-ton trucks. Yes. And they are going across 300 miles of desert, de- dirt desert road to deliver this nitroglycerin to this well. And this sets up the overall point of the movie, the, the main thrust of the action of the movie. And the it, plot, if you will. Yes, the plot, if you will. Which and has been missing up to this point. Exactly. We have well, been like a little Well, like I said, we, there's a solid, solid hour of setup to And this it's not film. even over once that impetus is in yeah. play. We yeah. still have a bunch of time sorting out who gets to go and what that means. Mm-hmm. And I just And g- what it means is a lot. Yeah, <laughs> cuz this is these guys are essentially getting money to drive it to you know to risk their lives, right? To essentially something that no one really expects that they will come out of. And, and once again, nitroglycerin as you, as is demonstrated in the film is potent potent stuff, right? You cannot jostle it, you cannot shake it. I mean, slight disturbances can cause it to, you know, to explode. It's volatile shit. And these guys have to drive truckfuls of this with their own impending death right behind them as they drive through this road. But let's maybe step back for a second here. What is it or how does someone deal with the kind of existential terror that you will be put through in this kind of a journey? I mean, how do we face our own deaths? How and what do in what ways do we kind of establish or define ourselves in our perspectives on death? And this movie tends to tease out some of these details before this ultimate scenario is put before them. And you, I would like to contrast two people here, if you guys would let me. Joe, who arrives into town as the big man, who pr- proceeds to boss his way around to show himself as being the person who's on top. And I'd also like to contrast him with with a person with Luigi. And Joe and Luigi have a confrontation in the cantina. And can we maybe talk about this or set this up a little bit? Uh, oh, sure, sure. Okay. One wants the radio on, the other one wants it off, and uh, one's willing to shoot and one's not. I think that's about There we go. Right. Yes. Excellent. Okay, so let's maybe talk about this for a second, because Joe essentially gets the upper hand on Luigi. They and they get they're, they have a conflict about wanting the radio on. They're both, oddly enough, fighting over Mario, who's, Luigi, who's Luigi's roommate. And yes. we have yet to mention Mario, who is the main um, character. Main character. I, mean, yes. I don't know. Aside from his... Aside from his drag, I don't know that... Uh... Well, as Nicole pointed out, too, he does, in a sense, he, he is fashion-forward and fashion-bold, 
Uh, Nicole, his his primary outfit is the okay. Okay, so Luigi or not? I'm sorry, not Luigi. Mario, who's essentially the the main character, even though like he may not have the most depth as the other characters. He rocks this amazing <laughs> low-cut tank top with a little neckerchief. Yes. And, like, that... It's pretty that, good. It, yeah. It's it's a wonderful. I, I really feel like the hipsters missed out on a fashion opportunity by not adopting that. Yes. And, um, and, 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 and it's it's so prominent throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Just this low-cut tank top combo that he has with the neckerchief. Yeah. Next sweat on the back is a potential disaster when carting nitroglycerin around. That's why you need the neckerchief. That's what, if anything, Wages of Fear taught me. <laughs> Next sweat on the back, very dangerous to be avoided. But the actor who plays Mario is Yves Montaigne. He's he, this is yes. this is a, a role that vaunted him into fame in France. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was formerly, uh, I believe, he, I heard his occupation described as a crooner before this film. Uh, crooner turned actor does not surprise me. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, very French as well. So, but the conflict that happens between Mario and Joe is important as they come together to come into a conflict. Uh, there's no fighting that goes on. Uh, Joe essentially pulls a pistol. On, on Luigi. And Luigi essentially challenges and he says, well, it's easy to be a big man when you have a pistol. And of course, Joe essentially just turns the pistol on, puts the pistol in Luigi's hands and says, you think it's, you think it's easy to do this? Let's see you do it. And Luigi, you see the camera once again pan up to Luigi, down to the gun, up to Luigi. Then you see him begin to pull the trigger. You see the hammer pulling back. You see reaction shots from the crowd. And then he puts his head down and he hands back the gun and he says it's not that easy. And Luigi walks away dejected. And I want to kind of discuss two different kinds of courage here, which is that Joe is clearly willing and capable to have the courage to kill somebody, whereas Luigi is not. But I mean, he looks like the big man initially, but Joe, I think, is way more bark than he is bite. I mean, he is at heart a self-preservationist, where Luigi is probably the most human person in this entire movie. Well, that's but that's what I want to kind of contrast here, because it's not that Joe is unwilling to risk death. He hands his opponent a loaded fucking gun and dares him to shoot him. You know, like, that is, I mean, that takes a different kind of courage. We don't know that gun's loaded. Assume it is, for Christ's sakes, man. Why? I mean, because it wouldn't be any it wouldn't be any point to show then that, you know, oh, I was lying the whole time and fluffing up. Like it he's, doesn't he's but already he unresourceful. He's already unresourceful enough to be here with no money. But a loaded gun will help at least help you get some more money. I mean, you, what, you, that's a shit you, you know, you would think An so. An unloaded gun is a shit plan B, is all I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> it sure is. But you know what? Plan A, not so hot as it is. All right, well, d- well, ignore the ignore the fucking semantics of the thing and to deal with the issue about is th- what is the distinctive or distinction between the courage or the uh, the dis- maybe even the the different in- difference in willpower between w- willing to kill to get what you want. And willing to die to get what you want, and those two things I think are directly contrasted in these two characters. I do well, yeah, because Joe is willing to kill for whatever he wants, yes. but no, no, he's no, no, not see, willing this... to die for anything. See, that doesn't, but that doesn't jive with his. This, this is the thing. Like, I, I agree, there's a weird conundrum in him handing the pistol to Luigi in the event of self-preservation. But unless I'm misremembering, Joe. Never show. Oh no! Never. Okay. Never mind. I yes. I forgot the scene where. Okay. Yes, bad. because what happens? He later, has. He he does kill someone. I he forgot. Does, he he does. that does actually happen. What for ha- self preservation. And what what happens later on in the film is that as they kind of go through the trial of you know becoming the be- you know be- the truck driver because the SOC has a desire to have the you okay. know they don't well, want to lose the truck. Here's the th- okay. Here's the thing with the 
it, it's really, you know, all the vagabonds are really excited when they hear about this $2,000 opportunity. This $2,000 opportunity. You know, we know it's dangerous. They know it's dangerous. But the thing is... There's so many people that could use this money to get out of the town. They are willing to risk it. And the oil company is more than happy to have these vagabonds do this because the thing is, if they die, it's no money off their back. There's no, they don't have a union. Yeah, if you they die, don't you don't have to, have to pay. Yeah. They don't, they don't have yeah. to contact their next of kin. Nobody, nobody cares. These people are off the books anyways. So, you know, everybody that doesn't have any opportunity is vying for this position and there's only four positions and joe does not get one of them because he is too old yes and of course what happens then is is that he essentially it's implied that one of the men who who took his place he feels he uh when it's yeah when bill murray look alike when it comes time for them to show up to begin uh you know suiting up so to speak to take on the mission and, and to you know board the trucks this fourth driver never shows up and joe of course shows up right on time shows up yeah right on time what oh he didn't i was just seeing you guys off you know what's the deal so once again i mean he is he is willing to kill to get what he wants but yet this is a mission that will test whether or, or how and what you will put yourself through in the face of your own death and these two things are two different courage uh, courage and i mean is there any is there any virtue from these kinds of issues as well? Because, you know, I teach politics, and politics inevitably will require violence, especially when things might be tested to a very extreme degree. And I oftentimes ask my students, you know, is are the things really worth mattering, are the things that really matter in life, not what you're necessarily willing to kill for, but what you'd be willing to die for to realize? And there's just, I think, a, a distinction between these two concepts that I'd like to maybe just discuss a little bit further if we could. I mean, I mean, is there something, I mean, is it more difficult or is it more noble in this idea of sacrifice from a larger perspective? But is it irrational in, in an individualized perspective? Is it, I mean, is it more manly, if you will, to even have this idea of two people conflicting with each, uh, you know, coming into conflict and one backing down because he won't kill? So what you're saying is, is you know, the cowardice comes... I mean, are you insinuating that the cowardice comes from being willing, you know, like Joe, for being willing to 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 kill for self-preservation, but not willing to die for your cause? Yes. Okay. because I find Joe to be probably the most cowardly out of the whole group, even though he is the one that, you know, actually killed someone to get a spot on one of these trucks. Yeah, but that's not an inherent. I mean, that's not an inherently brave act. No. I mean, no, the, the lawlessness saying. of this area meant that there was almost no chance he was going to be caught. Yeah. And it doesn't it doesn't bespeak of bravery. It just bespeaks of menace, that's which, what I mean. which he yeah. presents to everyone around yeah. him. Yeah. Okay. Except Mario, because he has to trust Mario. And um, the thing is, like, it's hard because I don't know if this is the right, the right, spot to discuss willing to die for a cause because i mean these people these people are willing to die for a cause only because they have no other options which i don't think is necessarily the same as willing to like die for like a cause like you know it's not like these people are revolutionary like revolutionaries trying to change Mm -hmm. the um you know the oppressive nature of like the oil company or of i mean these people are are willing to 
put themselves in a significant amount of danger because they have no other options. And I don't know if that's necessarily bravery. But you got to remember that each one of them must have something they are they wanting to escape to as well, even if it's just to get the fuck out of their present situation. And then the greatest of or weirdest of ironies is that they have to risk death in order to live. And this is the kind of weird... Uh, you know, I, I do agree that you're absolutely right. There are no high-minded ideals that these men are after, and that's I don't want to apply the idea. The, yeah, that's the, that what I mean. Idea. They're not dying for a great cause, but they are willing to put their life on the line to live, to live, yeah, to fucking be better. Well, to well have that's I wanted to. It. I mean, in the interest of keeping this muddled in semantics, I didn't want. There's <laughs> no one. No one is willing to die for a cause here. Yeah, no, I'm no. Not because, because yeah. their cause requires them to be alive at the end. But is there no less any virtue in the kind of potential sacrifice that they're taking for them on, for themselves? I mean, is there? Is oh yeah, there... no, definitely. I just want to make sure that our terms are straight. They're not dying. They're not dying for a cause in the traditional sense. Yeah, they're not happy that they're fucking over the oil. You know, they're not happy that they're anti-capitalist and take their money and yeah, run. That's, you know, yeah, that, no, this they're isn't... not worried about that. And that's what I mean that this the anti-capitalism, I mean, the movie has anti-capitalist strains in the, you know, in the fact or the setup or the situation. Well, but the evil it's of all over the background. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. The evil of of capitalism, quote unquote, is kind of how the story gets set up. Like this situation it, is a result of some slightly shady mm -hmm. business it's, practices. It, it mostly, I mean, it, it's anti-capitalist in theme, but not in thesis, I guess would yeah. be the way to say it. It doesn't, it, it provides plenty of social commentary, yes. but it, but it's not, it's not the struggle. Well, we could, we could, I think, if I could take my Marxist hat on here, uh, we got, I mean, you could say that there is a sense that the only way that a person's worth or value is placed you know, on it by money. You know, you're, you're in the marketplace. This is what you're worth. I remember when the deadliest catch came out and I hear all kinds of guys saying, you know, yeah, man, $60,000 for three months worth of work and, you know, a little bit of danger and everything, you know, it goes to the territory. But, okay, that's the same thing. They're big payout, big risk. Exactly. I mean, those, those guys are actually very similar to mm -hmm. the four characters driving the trucks well, but in they're, here. Yeah. But they're not quite the same because the money, I, oh, I know. I'm going to miss, I'm going to misquote this, but Two th I'm going to misquote this paraphrase, but two thousand dollars in 1950s. Two thousand dollars isn't money; it's a motive with a universal adapter. Yeah, on it. yeah, exactly. Like they, they all want to leave. Yes, they are all going to do the same thing with the money. I mean, they, all, they could have made the MacGuffin, which the two grand basically is, since nobody ever fucking no, sees I it. No, I know. I will actually, um, I have a good point. Well, at, but at they, they could have made this. the MacGuffin a plane ticket. Yeah, and everyone would have taken it. Yes. Yeah, I, I I don't want to I don't want to spoiler too early, but I have okay, I, had a, I had a fun little like like caveat on the money situation at the end. Okay. Anyways, no, no, again, there's there's a separation there's a separation of of theme and thesis here yes. with capitalism being the theme, but the 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 plot is clearly about what you are willing to risk yes. to live, like yeah. you said, well, and, that's, that's, and that's what the title is about because there is a very pivotal little uh little speech by and I believe. It's by the American, it's mm -hmm. by O'Brien, who's running the oil company, and he, he talks about the wages of fear and mm -hmm. that, you know, like, like what people are willing to do for money, essentially, yep. and that a lot of times, like, the fear never leaves them. No. Like, they don't recover from it yes. if it's that traumatic. Well, and that's, once again, it's an awesome And that's what these guys are going into. Yes, but it's an awesome play on words. I mean, the wages in the sense of the monetary idea that you work for wages, but then also the sense or the meaning of the word wages, which is, you know, the trial or ordeal that one takes to go through these things. Right. It's a brilliant little play on words, and... 
you know, once again, it does kind of lend it, and you could definitely, I wouldn't fault anyone who wanted to emphasize this kind of anti-capitalist theme, but I do think that we're all in agreement here that, like you said, it's what, how, it's theme, not thesis. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's absolutely the case, too, and I'm glad that we've been able to kind of flush out some of these things, because to me, the most, why I love this film as as a younger adult into, into movies was, you know, the the filmmaking aspect of it, I found the, the style and the way that it built tension to be a very, very effective and and personally affecting as uh, on me. Uh, but then also, you know, I like these larger sense of uh, the, the sense of honor, the, the ideas of courage, of masculinity that kind of ran ran through this film. And you know, I'm someone who tends to look at ideas of femininity and masculinity and saying, you know, how does this apply to the universal us in this film as well? I mean, the movie is essentially, how do they say counter-revolutionary when it comes to gender politics with the fact that he treats, um, the female character so poorly, uh, Mario does. Yes. His love interest, who he just treats like shit through the whole movie. Yeah, he movie. treats her like literally like a dog. Okay, well, the, the funny thing time. is, is that actress who plays him is the director's wife. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, like, <laughs> the guy, you know, he's got a weird, a weird agenda in this thing as well. But... <laughs> That's a good tidbit. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. So you you get this. I mean, and to be fair, he's treating her like shit because she's willing to take it from him. Oh, because she loves him unconditionally. Like yeah. she will. She, unconditionally. When they're when they're leaving on the truck, I mean, she literally like throws herself in front it, of the truck while he is is like kicking her off the side, going, "Get the hell off here!" And she's just like laying prostrate yeah, in the road, trying to stop him. He's from blowing going. her off, and she's she's telling him. She'll murder people to, to get do it She'll back. Do whatever. To do, yeah, like yeah. I mean, she's willing to go to whatever distance to keep him from leaving. And he's like trying to flick her off the car like a bug. Well, but still, <laughs> it's this because there's this weird sense that you you see this kind of this, this harsh treatment of women in films like this, and you almost get the sense that the guy is telling the woman. I'm not good for you. No. Like, get the fuck away from me, and then they can't not do it, well, this. Well, that's the thing. If if the women, like, understood that point, that actually would be a good way to interpret it. Because Mario is, I mean, he's he's no prize. He's a shitheel, shit <laughs> like, self-loathing fucking tramp. Like, But he dresses nice. But yeah, he's that, got that low-cut tank top, and, and I guess that sends the ladies wild. And the hair, yeah. No. So, but but uh, once again, I mean, he when he at the very end, she is. I mean, it's like I said, I found it to be very effective. She is so distraught that he has finally taken the step to do this. But he is trying to kick her away from a truck filled with nitroglycerin. I mean, this is, yeah, you know, there is that point too. He's like, get like the fuck away from us, like pushing her off a moving vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> so he, so it's just, it's just. Once again, all of this occurs in the first hour of the film, and there's yeah. a lot to unpack in that in that hour, and it's just unfortunate that so much of you know, filmmaking today does not kind of spend the time on, or, or feels not that it's not worth the risk to t- to spend so much time, like you know, setting d- up the whole feel. Yeah, the whole. I mean, you you want to leave by the end of this, by the end of the first hour, you are ready to fucking well, get the are, fuck out of this Euclid's, town. Well, Euclid's totally understand. Yeah, like why they would do something so dangerous right. as to drive a truck full of nitroglycerin <laughs> three hundred <laughs> miles across like some unpaved, mm-hmm. you know, rural. Well, yeah, I, they, they got to do something with it because I mean, even adjusting for inflation, $2,000 is only $20,000 in today's money. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, whatever O'Brien says, that's really not that much money. Yep. 
So some degree of desperation. But he was sugarcoating a little. He's like, hey, it's good money. You know, he he needs people to take the jobs. Well, yeah, exactly. But and he needs non-union people to take the job because he knows how this is going down. Yeah, Yeah. non-union desperate people. Because without that, I mean, twenty thousand is not enough to retire on. These people are not scot-free from this point forward. But that is enough to get them out of their predicament. They're not scot-free, but they would be free of that town. Their situation. Yes. Um, and we can transition into. That chase, um, right after this break. And we're back. All right. Okay. Moving from the cool, laid-back hellhole of <laughs> wherever is Stan in, uh, or wherever Mala. I don't know. What's the it's what's lo- the racist way to refer to a Latin American country? Don't wherever care about? Tia. There we go. All right. La wherever to you. Yeah. La saloon. We um, <laughs> we move to the trucks. Yes. First, there's a driving test. Yes. I don't know. There's there's some foul play there, but I don't know. Yeah, they that fuck with a, each other. Yeah, yeah. Of, of course. But, you know. It's a cutthroat. You know, there's, there's only four positions, and yeah. there's lots of people that need jobs. There are yeah. only four seats on that plane. Yeah. And, the, um, and that eventually goes down, and then Joe... As I misremembered, confirms that he's willing to kill people for his own sake. Mm-hmm. Uh, offs Bill Murray, yeah. and uh, <laughs> and now we have two teams of two because yes. they're not taking any chances. They double up on everything. To quote Billy Bob Thornton. Right, and we uh, we get two trucks with a handful of hundred gallons of nitroglycerin between mm-hmm. them, and one sets off half an hour before the other. David, if I may. I'd like to just bring back our attention here just for a few seconds or so. Um, one of the things that you begin to set up is, and one of the reasons I really like this film, is the editing. Uh, the way the film kind of relays action, oftentimes in, in a non-visual way. So one of the scenes is they're preparing to go, they're watching the nitroglycerin be loaded onto their trucks. And the way they do this is they have these big, you can imagine those handled, uh, thin gasoline jugs that you've maybe seen before, dear listener. And they are jerry cans. Yeah, yes. jerry cans. And they're walking these jerry cans up a wooden plank onto the truck. And as these workers are, are carrying these, one of them slightly stumbles and catches himself. And the camera shows this action, then shows Mario and Luigi's action, and then we hear glass breaking. And what we see is is that one of the drivers, Bimba, has actually dropped his glass while by you know through fear yes, by watching this by this, watching this this near miss by just watching the trucks get loaded. Yeah, we've already gone into the tension filled hellhole that we were going to experience. But once again, it's a brilliant little move where you see the reaction, you hear the glass shatter out off screen. You then show Bimba with his hand around you know where a glass should be because you know he's dropped. And it. I and love how the American boss handles it. He's mm-hmm. like. Just go get yourself another glass. <laughs> get another, get another like drink. no acknowledgement to the the actual like you know fear and yeah. and nervousness that's behind all this. Yes. Well, the American is way more jaded toward this than the rest oh, of them yeah. to begin with. I, Capitalist. O- oh, what O'Brien was, is? Yeah, O'Brien. What was? O'Brien's a is a manager of people. Yeah, yeah. What is what is his line when when the initial when the initial well explodes mm-hmm. um, that they need to drive the nitroglycerin to? Um, 13 people were killed in the explosion, and mm-hmm. what does he say? Blame it on the victims. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, it's clearly like their yeah, fault. yeah, they're like, why, why, why did this happen? He's like, I don't know, just blame it on the victims. They're dead anyways. Yeah. <laughs> 
That way, you know, that way he doesn't get any grief from upstairs. Right. Yeah, no, he's, uh, he's a man of means, uh, in a way of speaking. Um, but that is the first moment, in addition to Bimba first breaking there, that's also the first time Joe shows any indication that he knows how in over his head he is. Yeah. Um, they... They turn to him and he starts sweating. Yeah, because he talks. And he does not stop sweating until the end of the movie. No, he talks a big talk right up until that point, and uh, basically he breaks down completely once the adventure starts. Right. Yeah. The only for the only real foreshadowing of that moment, I guess there are a couple. There is. There, there are the deaths off screen, mm-hmm. which are being protested in the street. Then they show the oil explosion with the guy in the cast. Mm-hmm. And then they have the Texan who gets one of the only really lo- scenery-chewing scenes yeah. in the whole movie talking about men's hair going white yep. from being on this job. And um, that's all basically hearsay or 300 miles away. This is this... This jerry can that almost falls off the side is the first actual threat in. I, don't know, I guess there's a gun, but nobody fires the gun. But yeah. no, but but in the but in the core mechanic of the second half of the film, which is the nitroglycerin, that's when we we realize we're in the shit here, and these guys yeah. first realize that you know this can go that south. This is real. Yeah, that this How can go south very. This can yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's just you know you're you're on this. I mean, you you are on a precipice. You are you are in a precarious situation now, and it's. I think what what is also just so truly frightening is that you can, I mean, you would realize that you were in danger just mere mere moments before it would just blank out. You would, I mean, because nitroglycerin, a truck full of nitroglycerin exploding, I mean, you see yourself hitting that bump and you know it's going too quickly and you wouldn't even feel the bump. It would just be over. Yeah. And there's no... There's no running away. There's no, you know, we're dodging the explosion as it ex- as it, and we jump out as it explodes. No, it's it, it's over. It is just one mistake. You're done. Game over. Thanks for playing. They didn't have the they didn't have the down cranking technology to pull that off yeah. with the <laughs> with the running from the explosion in yeah. slow motion. Yeah, yet, you can't so. jump out of the truck and get away from this thing if something bad goes wrong. You're in it, and it's just it's it's over when it happens. And as you as you guys rightly point out, Joe begins to crack. I mean, he. He's, he feels he just, sick. He, he says he's he, got. Mal- I got a touch of malaria. I think he says he cracks immediately. Yeah, he cracks and permanently. immediately. So okay, so we've got Joe and Mario in the first truck. They leave first, and Luigi and Bimba are in the truck that is following thirty minutes behind. Yes, right, right from the get go. Joe, mm-hmm. who is driving the truck initially, starts to come undone. Yeah, like the fear. Is getting to him. He's unraveling. He is sweating constantly. He is coming up with all sorts of excuses. He's driving really why he can't slowly. Drive. Yeah. He's driving. He's got a touch of malaria. Yeah, yeah he's driving like so slow that it's it's becoming dangerous because the car following might hit them. Yeah. Um. It's just it, it's just all down here, all downhill basically, for Joe, but, um, because he sees the. He sees the threat and mm-hmm. basically is 100% certain that this is going to kill him. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, so he signed up for it and immediately, like, realized that this was... This is a mistake. This was a mistake. He <laughs> was willing to push someone... He was willing to kill somebody for this yeah. and then immediately realizes that he's going to die doing this, too. This was a terrible idea. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's good too because like you said immediately this happens he drives so slow and he's unable to drive they stop the truck Bimba and Luigi have already caught up to him at that point yeah and it was kind of interesting because we're watching this in a group of friends it's it wasn't really set up this way but 
Luigi and Bimba decide they're going to pass, and the, this, you know, you got to imagine a dirt road through the jungle in the 1950s. It's a narrow pass, and as they go to pass them, the people were watching with it was like, Jesus Christ, they just go, you know, like, and they're, 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 <laughs> they're inches apart as they kind of go past this, and this isn't even the most dangerous thing these trucks will go through on this journey, is passing each other slowly, you know, on a narrow road. It gets much worse from here. And I don't know if we want to maybe go into each sequence. I mean, the first one isn't necessarily the most effective sequence in the film. About the washboard? Them. Yeah, the washboard. The, the the road gets very choppy, and the solution is that you just drive quickly. You drive over the bumps by driving quickly. Yeah. And there's a good scene about one one truck going slower and the other one, you know, coming up on them quicker than it's traveling, and they're going to hit it because, you know, the truck that's going faster behind them can't slow down. And the other one can't go any faster until they pass the washboard before they can speed up to avoid them. It's a neat trope, but... I I think there is... The movie had an atmospheric problem that kept that from working. Um, actually, there were a handful. But uh, one thing we haven't mentioned yet, uh, I don't think this is necessarily a foreign trope, but it certainly is un, would be uncommon in Hollywood. Uh, no music. Yes. There I, is, yeah. There's no music anywhere. And I think that plays against the washboard scene in an important way because mm -hmm. the nitroglycerin nitroglycerin it works fine for there to be no noise at any time because the nitroglycerin can explode at any time and it's over mm -hmm. right so instead of having instead of having the cellos and the basses just constantly strumming mm -hmm. a little vibrato in yeah. the low register to indicate that shit's about to go down they'd have to do that for the whole movie so it makes sense right to um it makes sense not to put music over that but in the washboard scene, the point of impact is immediately apparent because the reason uh, if if one of the two trucks explodes or both of them explodes, it's going to be because of a collision. Yes, and that's exactly the kind of thing that music emphasizes. Yes, and this movie didn't have that. I also, uh, to put it bluntly, thought it was poorly shot. Yeah, um, that's yeah. I agree. It is the it is the weakest of the four setups they it have. Was a, they go yeah, it was they spend a way awkward. too much time focusing on the characters' reactions to a road that we don't see. Well, the and the one goofy thing too is that while you you don't have the music, you begin to hear that sound be, be, plays an important point. And as the first truck is driving along, the reason that the the, the setup for the situation is that they have to drive fast. But then the twist is is that one of the trucks breaks down halfway, and as they're driving quickly, you hear this, you know, you hear this clang. And in your car, I mean, if you're driving in your car, dear listener, and you, you know you're doing 60 miles an hour, and you hear a clang, I mean, everyone just feels that little, you know, that little yeah. jolt of like, what the hell was that, you know? And then, okay, everything's fine. But if you're carrying a truck of nitroglycerin, that clang is a fucking banging loud sound. But I agree that it isn't, it isn't as well executed as it could have been. And like I said, I, I'm willing to I'm willing to cede this point. We could digest why it's it's poor as well, but the lack of music you point up will become very very important later on in the other sequences as well. I think it I think it specifically hurts this one. Yes, just absolutely. because just because the problem is the problem is a point that we can see on a line, and the line should have a soundtrack behind it. It's not like in most of the other scenes where. Anything could happen at any time. Right. The washboard sequence doesn't give you that impression. Well, and also, no, it's like a slow buildup as the other car approaches. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also the sound of the engine becomes the only hum that goes through this. And even as the two trucks, you know, once again, as the the first truck is repaired, it has to go slower over the washboard road, and the second truck going faster is approaching it. Even to the only mechanism, I think that they the the problem of solving how can we continue to relay or impart the. Uh, impart the, uh, the 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 tension in the scene is that they do a countdown essentially. You know, like yeah. you got ten, se you know, we got, we got ten seconds, and they start going one, yeah, there's two, and they're closer and telling, closer. Way so too much you know, it does kind of you know, it is a little, 
trite, I guess, or uh, you know, it uses it uses a technique that is maybe not the most sophisticated, but at least that's the first one, and they get it out of the way because the remaining <laughs> three se- the remaining three sequences are particularly harrowing. I find well, they the 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 remaining yeah three obstacles that they really get into require a little bit of um like you know they require some quick thinking and some like DIY yep. uh improvisation mm-hmm. to get through the situations and here's the thing so in the truck with Luigi and Bimba the German they're functioning like they're supposed to they're helping each other out yep. if one if if they have like a particularly Harry turn, mm-hmm. like we will discuss next. You yep. know, one is out guiding the other one. F- poor Mario now is <laughs> operating this thing by himself, and Joe is essentially useless. Yeah. He's crying in the corner. He is not helpful. He is not resourceful. He's not even like when uh, when when Mario needs help guiding the truck. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's basically just sulking in the corner, and Mario has to do everything by himself. Like, Joe has completely fallen apart. Yes. He's just like, yeah. woe is me at the, this point. And the particular gauntlet that we're referring to is they have to make a three-point turn on a rickety, rickety, rotten wood bridge. Yes. Yes. And it's funny because, it's like, like, like a, you said... It's more like a platform, not like a bridge that extends across a ravine, but it's like a platform. Like, yeah, like yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't go on the other it's direction. It's a little outcrop. Right, the, yeah. um, it is funny. The uh, I draw a comparison to uh, video games here, <laughs> where in a puzzle game, you establish the premise, yep. the tool, and then you take some. You either complicate the puzzle, or you reduce the effectiveness of the tool, or you do something to go. Okay, now do this harder. The first, uh, the the first truck goes by. It's got Luigi and Bimba in it. Mm-hmm. Luigi gets out of the car, goes, okay, this is what we got to do. You got to pull the truck this way. We got to go this way. And then there's rotten wood. He puts the he, he puts, puts a log down to stabilize the wheel. They get out, and they're done. And they move on. Level two. Yeah. How do you do this with only one helpful person in the yes. truck? Who needs like, to operate the truck. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, it's like systematically, it's like, okay, let's make this harder this time. Right. <laughs> How do we get through this now? That was sort of the feel that had to me. No, and that's uh, this is part of the reason I wanted to bring it up too. And I think that for my second selection, looking at thrillers and action movies, I'm, you know, I picked Aliens. There is that you're absolutely right. When you set up a tense situation, you've got the setup, the execution, the twist, and the resolution. And this is like they have that. I think it's so apt that you kind of got that dynamic down because you know, as this as each of these as each of these scenarios plays out, they do have that, you know, the, the setup or the stakes, the execution. There's always a slight twist that kind of comes mm-hmm. through in the end. And then you have this kind of resolution, which can also be a kind of second or mini climax, which we'll get to in the second one with the boulder. But the way that this is shot or set up, uh, and I want to emphasize too that one of the things that makes this film unique is that there, this is on location shooting in this film. And for those of you who might not think that's impressive in the 1950s, you got to realize that cameras and setups and actually making a film is a really laborious process to go through. And the idea that they would, you know, build especially physical... when especially when stuff was on film, yes, like actual film. Yes, this means <laughs> that there is no retakes. You know, there's no digital. You can't just add it in post, as they say in the film world today. There's no computers. You have what you have, and. You know, when you see movies from the 50s and 60s where you see something actually happen, like a bridge explode, or, you know, you see some other kind of calamitous event, it was either a miniature, in which case it's usually easy to tell. Mm -hmm. But if it's not a miniature, that son of a bitch was built. 
And it, you know, if something like like Treasure of the Sierra Madre or The Bridge of the River Kwai, these kind of classic Hollywood films, they blow up an actual fucking bridge <laughs> in that movie. There's like, we got one chance to do this and we have to make sure it plays off. And as the sequence goes through, you know, you this the the breakdown of Joe and the kind of frustration. Now, if we could before maybe before we get into the other sequences, I mean, is Joe's breakdown, you know, I'd maybe mentioned I'd mentioned as well that I think it, I thought it was always one of the most interesting dynamics where Joe who is menacing, you mentioned before, he's menacing, he's unlikable, he's a bully. He's really set up in the initial part to be, you know, to be someone you dislike. But as he has, I think, perhaps the most human fucking reaction that any person would have who found themselves in a truck full of nitroglycerin, the most human reaction is to fucking run the fuck away as fast as you can. I mean, do we not kind of see that perhaps he... Or did you feel, like, a little bit of sympathy with Joe as you watched I, this film? I don't, because he fucking killed somebody to get that spot, and then he squandered it. So, it, I... I, it I mean... well that ends well. Well, I'm just <laughs> saying, he was a fucking dick, and, you know, talk about not having any foresight. Mm -hmm. Foresight, like... It, it ends up reading, like, atonement at some yeah. point. Yeah. Okay. For what he already, I mean, I mean, and why was, is his life more important now that's being put on the line than the person he killed who actually wanted that spot on the truck? Right. Yeah. I mean, he's been he's been a lecherous human being his entire life. If anyone had it coming, it was him. That's kind of how I felt. So it's in a purely Hollywood fashion. <laughs> he kind of deserves it. Well, and it's also interesting too that you know Mario in his treatment of uh, the young girl. I think Maria is her name. It very mirrors how he treats Joe when he finds him no longer reliable as well. Because it, when you, where we're, I wanted to kind of get this out of the way because when you look at the other sequences, you know, I don't want to have to kind of belabor the point. But like, virtually every sequence, Joe tries to escape. I mean, he is, he is, he he is. Once again, I think a very human reaction is to leave this situation. Yeah. And what I'm, I wanted to kind of see is that is there a like, what we call it courage. And we contrast it with being cowardly, right? And the distinction between the two are kind of important because they're both, you know, the basic reactions that we would have to fear. You either persevere and find courage to over overcome it, or you find, you know, cowardliness. And, I mean, if, if, if having courage doomed you, I don't, you know, is there a way that we can perhaps not necessarily view someone as a coward? I mean, is it always a pejorative term to label someone a coward? In, we could say he's a conscientious objector, yes, but I still don't think it yeah. makes him any better of a person. Yeah, no, he did kill someone. So well, yeah. <laughs> well, and that's that's the thing. I mean, the reason the reason cowardice has the has the what the fuck is the word? The reason the reason cowardice has the connotation it does is because in almost every context in which it's used, it is you failing to confront something that you ought to overcome. It yes. is, it's not very common to have to be cowardly or brave in the face of a murderous oppressor who is not at right. war with you. Yes. And nitroglycerin is not at war with Joe. Right. Um, it's just a fact of his present life that he would rather avoid. But it's it's so weird that, you he, know... Look, he'd be willing to blow... He was willing to dynamite the oil rig. He's willing to kill people for the money. Yeah. He doesn't... He's He's perfectly brave... Expending other people's capital and lives. Right. Um, so calling it cowardice, I, I mean, I guess that's the way you square it. That's the way you bring it back around is that his cowardice is still bad. Yeah. In that way. Well, and what Joe, well, or what Mario calls him, not so much a, a coward, but back to the, the way that Mario treats women, Mario 
calls Joe a woman mm-hmm. at 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 one point for the way that he is acting because yeah. he's just basically crying in the corner and trying to come up with excuses to get off this truck. Right, absolutely. And it's so strange that he And obviously that's pejorative coming from Mario seeing how he treats women. Yes. <laughs> But it's it's also, too, that as you can kind of contrast this masculinity, femininity, I mean, part of what is or one finds themselves, what, what finds this idea of masculinity is, you know, you usually see things like honor or duty or loyalty tending to be these, you know, in their own conceptions being these like, quote unquote, masculine traits. Right. And in the end, you know, why Mario essentially abuse. I mean, he, he, he beats Joe. He abuses him. He's like, you know, if we're going to do this together, if I have to drag you beside this truck full of nitroglycerin. We are going to do this together. And, I mean, really, his crime, apart from what he had to do to get there, is that Joe abandons someone who is in the same situation as him, right? We we agreed to do this. We're doing this together. And you're not even helping me go through this. In fact, you're you're actively making it more but, likely that we will But that he we still wants this. the money at the end if they make it. And Mario... Well, then, Mario, but... Mario's like, wait a minute. You did nothing but... Can we get there? Because, yeah. like, because at the end of it, we have, you know, the last situation well, no, kind of we're sets We're totally up. there. That's that's where that discussion gets brought up. It's right after Joe escapes off of the outcrop and drives the truck. Right. Okay, that's, good. We're at that scene. Good. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. So, later on, what do you... What do you what... This, this is where Mario is... This is the first time Mario is actually beating on Joe. He drives away from him yeah. and then picks him back up and just berates him. Basically acts as the audience surrogate for telling Joe what a slime ball he's right. been up to this point. Although, despite the fact that he sort of characterizes the audience, I do want to round on the fact that he's considered a protagonist because for all the reasons stated, uh, he's very mean to Joe. He has a very blasé opinion of women. He sits alone at the tavern. Mm -hmm. We apparently only think he is the protagonist because he looks better than everyone else (laughs) because there is nothing in his character that implies heroism. No, absolutely not. No. Like nothing at all. Well, I mean, in the sense well, there, that he, okay, and yeah. we, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to get all the way to my closing statements yet. But no, he is, he is, by no means a hero uh, at it's, all. It's like, the idea that he's the character that everyone. I mean, I, I think beyond this table, it's not our consensus that Mario ends up looking like the protagonist. He's the one everybody thinks is the protagonist. Yes. Well, he is and, a woman. Yeah, and I mean, the yeah, it's, the, it's, the reason why is. Absurdly vain. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's 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 uh, kind of a weird, it's kind of an awkward commentary about the way that we look at movies in the first place. Absolutely. So, the the next problem, the yeah, next the, setup yeah, they the have. Third, the third, I think this is the third, third like, yeah, the third major, <laughs> major obstacle that they have to get a little resourceful yep. with. They find a huge boulder blocking their path. And how, how the hell are we going to get around this? It's too big to move. Well, luckily, we have a truck full of nitroglycerin behind us. To help solve this conundrum or this problem. Now, I won't spoil the details of how they get around it, but basically, Bimba has figured out a way to insert nitroglycerin into the rock and detonate it uh, through a contrived time delay device. And it's a very cool scene. Uh, it sets up pretty neat the the tension initially, where they have to bore a hole into the boulder and get the nitroglycerin out. And you hear Luigi hammering on this boulder with the pike. As uh, or this this long steel rod, and as Bimba has to go and retrieve this nitroglycerin, which he's going to siphon out of one of the cans, and yeah. it's just a neat little. Tr- Once again, we talked about how no music and yet sound plays this this role in it, and the sound of this metal hitting this rock, and then 
you know, this it's a strike. I mean, it's a, it's a physical sound that we hear. And yeah, then, these aren't power tools. This yeah. is someone physically banging on a rock to make a hole. And it's cool because you see, you hear this. I mean, he's he's slamming this rod into this rock, and you hear this 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 contact being made over and over again. And then, of course, we're hearing and seeing Bimba acting exactly in contrast to that. Very, very delicate as he's trying to, once again, remove this down and siphon this lighter. It's a cool contrast between the two scenes initially that kind of holds tension until Mario and Joe catch up with them. And then, you know, obviously there has to be this issue. Of the exp- they have to blow up the boulder. And, um, I mean, is there any kind of perspective or ideas on this on this scene as well that we wanted to get to? Anything that stuck out to us at all? Because it is kind I, of... I liked, I liked its resolution, but I don't want to hit that until... until. I mean, if if there are no further comments, we can go to it. I really like the... Um, I really like the... It's not the explosion. It's the aftermath of the explosion yes. that is tense. I mean, granted, I, I guess it was slightly tense that Luigi might have just offed himself for what is really not a justifiable reason. Well, it's it's the weirdest thing because, I mean, imagine, dear reader, that if, you know, they used to have these problems in minds all the time where they would light a fuse and it, they, they thought it would have a certain period of time, but then what happens after that period of time and there's been no explosion? Like, who is the lucky bitch that gets to go back into the tunnel to See figure out whether See if it's either still going or if it needs <laughs> yeah, to be relit yeah. on yes. a very short fuse. Yes, like, <laughs> yeah. and it's a very cool, I mean, it's a very, very, you know, distinct problem that many people actually had realistically had to face. I mean, if, you, if you've ever seen a, um, before the institution of more flash materials that ignited efficiently, the reason why... Uh, if you ever look at, you know, like even cherry bombs have this this kind of animation to them on the wick where there's like an explosion coming off of the end. Yeah. That is for an extremely practical reason, because if you were to just use what, you know, like a candle wick or just a gas soaked mm-hmm. fuse, um, you want to be. One thousand percent sure. Yes, that the whole thing's going to go yes. off. And the <laughs> yeah. easiest way to do that is to basically make a line of explosives to the explosive. Yes, and it's which a, makes for a nice movie effect. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just a convenient. I mean, it, but once again, it has a, a <laughs> bizarrely practical effect that needed to be sort, sort, sort sorted out. So they, you know, once again, Bimba contrives this device to explode the uh, to explode the nitroglycerin. Uh, and, and the explosion happens as after they backed up the trucks. Uh, but then, of course, you know, it's always that secondary thing, right? Whereas humans, we tend to be pretty bad at understanding negative externalities from our actions. And it turns out this is the classic setup because, you know, did we drive the, you know, if you can imagine them lighting the fuse and then having the question, did we drive the trucks far enough back from this fucking explosion? Yep. And it happens. And mm. it's... I, Probably the th- second or third most tense scene for me in that film was that little explosion. I, th- I think it's my favorite. I think the rocks coming over the side of the mountain. Yes. The, yeah, the, the 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 sheer mass of the explosion yes. for this rock that they are trying to blow up. I'm not scientists. Is, They're not scientists. Yeah, it's <laughs> is pretty impressive. I mean, it like by the time the scene's done, you'd almost think the entire mountain fell on that. Well, they are closer to it. I'll give. I can't, I can't, like, and they are closer to it. Uh. No, I just the the rock the rock hailstorm yeah. coming down right over the trucks. Yeah, uh, is probably my favorite shot in the movie. Well, and it's it's funny too because Luigi runs towards it because he thinks that the fuse didn't go. Bimba and Mario run away from it to hide away, and Joe is just 
he's he's frozen. I mean, he, he stays yeah, with just, the truck. He's just cowering on the side of the road under a rock the whole sequence. So, and when I say sequence, like they don't do anything quickly in this movie. I mean, no. they this they, movie's two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. It, but it sets mm-hmm. up the fucking problems yeah. they have to deal with, and you yeah. live in these problems. Like I said, the the scene of them boring the hole into the rock and then siphoning out and setting up the contraption is, I think, almost seven minutes. It's five minutes long or so. You are with them as they are each taking each precarious step forward in this fucking... But I think that's good because Clouseau doesn't let us off the hook. He doesn't assume that things are going to play out right or well in this fucking... in this danger that they're facing. It's almost you get... At that point, you get more surprised. You're like, well, like, because you under... You know, when when you approach the scene, you're like, oh, they can just blow the rock up. And then you're like, oh, wow, they actually did that. And yeah. everyone's still here for mm-hmm. the most part. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah. But our journey continues. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and one final thing, though. When, when, the, when the explosion happens and the rocks are pelting down, and then there's this odd moment in the film where the rocks stop and it shows the reactions and then it goes to Joe. And once again, the, the power of this thing is that when it goes to Joe... We see his face, and then we see it just an instant flash of terror because we can hear a single solitary rock falling down the mountain, you know, falling in the background. We can hear it clicking, clicking, clicking as it's rolling down, and it's like, it's not over. And it fucking shows the can that they set off to the side to actually siphon the, the, yeah, the they, nitroglycerin off. they did off. not put that back in the yeah. truck, and they left it precariously close to the explosion yes. site. Yes, and with Joe the only one by it, he sees this happening, and he hears the—we see him— we hear the rock as we see Joe see it, and then it shows it, and you see this rock just click, 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 right down to the right down to the can, and you're like, it's just really, really cool. But once again, it happens after them. You think the main threat's passed. No, you have one tiny little threat to go through. And once again, we see it through Joe's eyes. We see it through his experience. It's just, it's just these little details that really, really make this film quite, quite enjoyable for me. Like I said, the, like. It's just good execution in filmmaking overall. But as you said, we're done. Are we done with the sequence? I, I, that's the end of the sequence. Excellent. All that right, we're on to the next sequence. one. Now, something important happens on the way to the next sequence, yes? Oh, is this where the German foretells? The German, yes. He okay. is uh, shaving himself in the because, you know, he's a German. He's cool. Well, okay, he's a cool yes. Customer. So, so we, we, we spoke briefly about stereotypes. Um, <laughs> our, our German in this film, I mean, he's literally... Aryan. Like, yeah, he's straight out of the Joy Division, <laughs> incredibly hardened, you know, blonde hair. He's shaving in the truck. Yeah. And Luigi asks him, well, why is he doing that? Well, And he, and I'm going to screw up the quote here, but he essentially says, you know, he wants to look his best even if he yeah. dies. Only presentable. Like, yeah. Presentable, yeah. That and he can't wax the rest of his face if, uh, <laughs> if he hasn't shaved properly. Uh, yeah. So, um, so okay. the, yeah, and there's there's little, there, we glossed over them. There's, of course, banter in, yes, between, these, yes. in between these capers just to uh, give us a little more. Although, to be fair, I, I entirely agree with Nicole. I think the setup worked much better for that anyway. Mm-hmm. The, the main town... Uh, yeah, the main town seemed like the right place to, yeah, to get away with that. Yeah, Clouseau doesn't belabor the, the the distance between the points either. I mean, it's not like it's not like ten minutes between setups. I mean, this thing, this thing clips along but between this between the points too. It's funny, and I guess because I guess our next obstacle is the 
is the big explosion is, from the distance. Is, oh, God. Is okay. Bimba and Luigi. So this is, okay, so shortly after we have this, you know, we're driving along, the German is shaving, him and Luigi are talking, we learn a little bit about how the German was an orphan and mm-hmm. had a miserable upbringing, yep. and that's why he's such a hardened, you know, individual. Um... And then uh, Joe's rolling himself a cigarette. Yes. And the ashes get blown off by something. And in the and distance, then a flash happens. Yeah. Yes, this is weird. It, it's it's weird how it's handled because it's it's literally there's just a flash in front, and well, the the Bimba Luigi truck is the one that is in front, mm-hmm. and the Joe Mario truck is in the back. So Joe Mario see a flash. Yeah. And they think it's probably the worst, but it's not. Yeah. Necessarily confirmed or even dwelled, like, dwelled on significantly. Yeah. <laughs> because at this point, Mario just wants to get this truck yeah. to the 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 oil well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So they're driving through. They see this flash and they come up upon a broken pipe and a lake. <laughs> a fucking crater. <laughs> full of crude. Yeah. And... Basically, it's kind of implied that Luigi and Bimba blew up, mm-hmm. they busted this oil line, and they're probably in the bottom of this lake of crude. Yeah. And now, because they created this lake of crude, Mario and Joe need to get their truck through it. Yes. That is the obstacle <laughs> in our face. And as they have, you have to do the story. One final note about that explosion. It's The sequence is, I actually timed this out when I was watching it just recently, The explosion happens, the the whole sequence takes less than seven seconds. There are 13 cuts in seven seconds that relays the the shot of Joe, and you see the tobacco in the paper. He's yet to roll it, and you first see this indication as the tobacco's in the the paper, and it gets blown off suddenly. You hear this, and you hear a muffled sound, and then it shoots up, and you see flashes, and it goes from Mario to, to Joe and Mario, and then you see the explosion, or you see the cloud, and then it goes back to them and it looks, it's just a really, really great scene because you, and once again, it would be the, this way as well. You felt, they felt the explosion before they heard it. It was just a, it's a really, really neat sequence because, you know, you're just, you're, you're going along. It seems like one of the normal, you know, banter points mm-hmm. in the movie. And then suddenly, no more Luigi. Yeah, no more Luigi, yeah. no more Bimba. They, yeah. are, they are gone. They are back to their original atomic elements, I think. And it just, you know, you have this setup where now, this crater has filled with crude. Yes, because they basically, by Bimba and Luigi blowing up, they have created another obstacle yes, to, for get to get through. Yes, to get through. And now it becomes, I think, one of the biggest moral points of the film as well, where we now have this... Hubris. Co- yes, we have this huge contrast, though, between the the lack of, you know, the, the overcoming of, of fear from Joe and the damn determination by Mario, and they become more and more separated yeah, from each Mario other. Mario basically is not going to let anything get in his way. Not yeah. that he has the best ideas, but damn it, he is going to move forward yeah. come hell or high and water. And he is like, we are driving through this crater full of crude oil. And he makes, he, force, he, he forces Joe to go out. He's like, fine, you don't want to be in the truck? Fucking get out of the truck and, you know, scout the way out in front. And Joe begins to remove some debris that he finds underneath the crude. And I should emphasize as well, it is actual crude in the film. I mean, this is once again the, the joys of filmmaking. 
That was actually oil they filled in this crater that these actors actually went through. That's unhealthy. Isn't that isn't that cancerous to have oil on your skin? Well, in fact, interestingly enough, after filming the scene, both both actors who played Joe and Mario suffered from severe bouts of conjunctivitis. They had pink eye and like severe infections of conjunctivitis in both eyes after filming this from being in contact because they actually submerged themselves in the oil. Well, and then they they continue to be covered in oil up through the, the last the scene. Up, yeah. and, up until they get to the oil well. Yeah, I don't know if that's makeup or not, but I do know <laughs> that that is actually oil that they go through and they submerge themselves in. Herzog would make yeah. them wear the oil the whole time, so foreign I'll just film. assume. Yeah, foreign yeah. films. So, Animal abuse, human abuse. Yes. So as, as Joe is scouting out and trying to remove debris... Yeah, Mario is slowly going past him. He's like, keep going out there, keep going out there. I'm here I come, here I come. And Joe, obviously half-heartedly doing this, but he gets trapped underneath a branch and uh, that as as, Mar- as the truck drives over it. And he's saying, stop, stop, help me. And he says, get out of the way, get out, do what you can to get out of the way. And how do I put this? He just drives the fuck over him. He just yeah. runs yeah. over Joe in this scene and leaves Joe submerged and screaming as he runs over him and Mario manages to get the truck out of the out of the crater and out of the oil and goes back to retrieve Joe and in a particularly I mean it's gruesome I mean this is the 1950s but as he begins to pull Joe out of the out of this crater obviously you can't see through the oil's opaque and as he pulls Joe out you see him and as you see his waist come out of it and you see one leg dangling yes. in the film and I don't like if you've ever seen or been around something horrific, or if you've seen anyone injured in a really, really p- bad way, for me, and I've heard, heard this as well, there is a kind of reaction, a gut reaction. What I'm going to say by gut reaction, which is that I've, I have seen some uh, injuries in my time, and this film, I had saw this film before I had seen any of that, and I, got, I felt sick watching it, right? Seeing the kind of dangling leg as it's revealed to you out of that, I got a little sick. And as I as I had been, unfortunately, in around two instances of injuries, I felt that same feeling around those issues, around the, around those situations as well. And I, once again, for me, I don't know why this movie affects me the way it does, but I found that particularly harrowing. I found it particularly effective filmmaking, that it's revealed well, I found in it ineffective, and it showed, like, how... How injured Joe? Yes, this is was. not like oh, yeah. You, it wasn't you know, like, like oh, you sprained your ankle or something. <laughs> yeah, like no, you mangled your leg. Yeah. Well, and from the angle, from the angle of the, uh, from the angle of ingress of mm-hmm. the truck compared to where Joe was, there was ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He may not have been. He may not actually have been touched. It might have just been Joe overreacting. Wouldn't be the first time. Right. Um, so I mean, that is an actual reveal. Yeah, yes. but you don't realize that until you actually see the leg. Because yeah, yeah, it because it, it could have been Joe overreacting the whole time. Because you almost you almost get that feeling. I know that's a, Mario probably had that feeling too. Like, oh, you're not stuck. Just get out of the damn way. Because yeah. I can't stop this truck. Well, that's what he's saying. He's saying stop, stop. And that's the thing is that you you can't stop yeah, those it, trucks. It's, we can't, we're not. <laughs> I'm not getting stuck here through this. I mean, there's no other way. This and the other thing too is that stopping. Makes the situation worse. I mean, it's it's just this kind of conundrum where every instinct tells you this is dangerous, this is dangerous, just stop, just stop, just stop. But then it takes that grit and determination to persevere through that. That stopping is, in a sense, the worst thing we could do in a lake filled with oil and a truck full of nice nitroglycerin. Well, just like corporate if capitalism. You, yeah, well, <laughs> if you lose your momentum, your truck's not going any farther, especially when you have no traction, like yeah. in... A lake full of oil. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was established before they went in that yes. he was not going to stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For nobody. 
And it's and so he he pulls Joe out of the out of this mess. He they puts him in the cab with him. He he does what he can for his leg. And I mean the last the last we talk about the banter sequence is between Joe and Mario in the truck. Both like I said, both covered, still covered head. I mean head to toe. They're both submerged in the oil, both covered, and both driving to this site where they're supposed to deliver the nitroglycerin. And I mean, maybe if we could just touch on the interaction between them. Um, you know, Mario, the way that he treats Joe in this last sequence, I think is very telling and revealing. Uh, I mean, do you guys see, because the harshness with which he's treated Joe throughout this really melts away. And it's not like necessarily the most warmest of exchanges they have there, but it's it's something that you see the dynamic in them change. I mean, can we maybe describe or talk about like what this change between them and this interaction is? It's well, first off, we are you know after this oil crater, we are at the home stretch. Like yeah. they are getting pretty close to their destination. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after going through all this traumatic stuff, we you know like. Mario loosens up a little bit and is kind of just indicating, you know, because he does obviously help Joe splint up the leg before they leave again because mm-hmm. he does have his leg in a splint. But he, he, if I remember correctly, he, um, was this the part when they brought up the 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 money because they were almost there? He's like, yeah, no, we're there. It's yours. You know, yeah. like he's telling he's telling him to hang in there, and it, yeah, because they're almost they're almost done with all this, and you know, as I mean. Well, let's, let's not, I mean, a mangled leg in the jungle is a death sentence, and it's, you know, happened in oil. I mean, he's, I don't think he's any under any illusions that this, you know, Joe is, is if he, he, he is going to die unless this is successful. And yet, as Joe is, you know, tr- you know, seeing his fate now, right? He knew this was going to kill him, but of course, it's a way that never, he really never thought it would have happened. You know, he, he assumed it would be the nitroglycerin, but no, it's, you know, it's Mario that has killed him. And the way that Mario kind of reacts to this is, you know, not resigning or recognizing that this has happened, but in the situation of being surrounded by someone that you were dis- that you fundamentally despised as having abandoned you, no loyalty, no determination, when confronted with the with the effects of his own determination on this person, he he is there for him. He comforts him. He wants to be there for him. And I think that's a neat idea that he has kind of not necessarily come for full circle, but that he has a kind of range of understanding with this person that he was, in a sense, forcing to go on this with him. It's it's just a, it's just an odd turn. And for me, I, once again, I don't know if it's necessarily successful as an emotional impact that someone be, would be viewing the death of Joe, someone that becomes despised and yet has a, a fairly tender death with an exchange in, in in his dying moments with Mario. Well, I mean, I think it is important, though. I mean, the two of them, you know, the the his dis his disdain for Joe didn't come until Joe started to, you know, become a real problem on this trip. Mm-hmm. I mean, right up until that point, those two, I mean, hit it off immediately. They were like two yeah. little peas they in a pod. They were both French. They were yeah. both French. They were That's both, all you need. Yeah, I mean, that seemed to to be a match made in heaven for him. I mean, they were hanging out continuously from the moment that Joe came to town. So there was a friendship here, but Mario was very frustrated because, you know, Joe was, Mario was expecting Joe to be helpful throughout this whole trip, and he wasn't. Right. You know, but then, like, they kind of uh, essentially do come full circle where they, they start to just become, you know, like, 
buddies to a certain extent. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, now that the fact that Joe isn't helpful isn't a problem anymore because there's no more obstacles at this point. Yeah. Like now it's the home stretch. Like he doesn't need the partner as much. All right. I don't want to. I guess I'll let that linger until okay. we get to the we get to the final scene because I don't want to. Okay, uh, yeah. Well, I don't just, want to ruin my my thesis on this too early. Okay, yeah, well, no. uh, well, I mean, there is there is like a little bit the the the, the Mario Joe thing does have like a weird little like kind of bromance thing. Yeah, uh, to it, a certain extent, it's just <laughs> it's just that I mean, these people are uh, the movie is an idea about the extremes that someone will persevere and go through, and one of these extre- extremes turns out to be you know how and what would you say to someone who is dying next to you, even if you were the cause of that. And as it as this film becomes meditations about death, I mean, Luigi has his perspectives of what he's willing to do and how he reacts to it. Bimba has his, you know, ideals or philosophies about death. I mean, each of these characters kind of represents their own, you know, uh, ethos about the situation they're in, why they're doing it, and what they want to do when they overcome or survive it. And it's just that I think that as these kind of situations are put forward. It's one of the more interesting moments in the film of this last, you know, buddy sequence, if you will, of them in the cab together after he's run him over and essentially killed this man that he is trying to overcome and realize this because it can't help but reflect that this is that, you know, this slowly dying person is just a manifestation of the sudden death that they could both feel together. And how I think Mario would want to be treated or looked at in that moment is you know, one of the more basic elements that you would have if you found someone that precariously placed on death as well. And I just, once again, I thought it was a little bit neater. I Once again, I want to disimpact it from its mm-hmm. ideas. But ultimately, the film ends in a very, very cool way. I won't get to the very, very ending. But as they are driving this through, going through all of these harrowing moments, it's night, they're covered in oil. And where does he end up with this truck full of nitroglycerin? He's in hell. There's this massive guy, flaming geyser. There are these just people running around trying to solve this problem. It's nasty. It's horrible. I mean, it, it. he has ended up in hell at the end of this movie. And he gets out and he walks away and everyone's very excited to see them. And, and everyone he, applauds yeah, like, when the truck pulls he, up. He has saved the day. Yeah. And he gets out and he pushes them off and he walks towards the geyser and he cr- collapses. And they run over to him and he says... He's asleep. He has just he has passed out from the strain and and ordeal that he has been through. And with that comes the last sequence of the film, which is that he survived. They, Mario they, is Mario the one is, one out of three. One out of three who makes it. They clean him up. They wash him off. They give him his two grand. And let's talk about the end of this fucking movie, shall we? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Okay, it's a celebration. You got the Johann uh, Strauss waltz playing in the background, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got to make the long trek. So he's got to return the truck <laughs> yeah, back so, to this town. Yeah, he, he, okay, he's he's going back to town. They give him the same truck, no nitroglycerin in it, of course, yeah. to get back there. Yeah, okay, good. Okay, so this, I think, is the most revealing part of Mario's character. Um, Mario, okay, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is my big ending thing. Mario was never going to get out of that town, Okay. He got his money. He was never going to get out of the town. If he had made it mm-hmm. back to town with the truck, yeah, he would have spent the first thousand dollars that night at the bar. Yep, the second thousand would have been piddled away, and he would have been right back where he started. Right. It was a fool's 
Aaron. Yes. But Mario is such a fucking idiot. <laughs> he didn't even make it back to the town to blow all his money and get stuck again. Uh-huh. Does anyone else want to? Yeah, that plays <clears throat> somewhat into my thesis about uh, about Mario as the as the closet antagonist of this film. Um, being that he is the one the audience relates to the most, Mario basically inhabits an id character throughout this movie where he doesn't give, like, and it starts with the clothes. Mm -hmm. It starts with the clothes, but it even, <laughs> it even in his first line, old man Bill Murray mm -hmm. is throwing a rock at a dog. It's like, that's not cool. Mm -hmm. And he's got a bitch and girlfriend. Yeah. On all fours that he's petting. On all fours. Yeah. yeah, he's got his own house. He shares it with a cool guy who's got a job. He is the most slumming it. Yep. Just fuck id all the way around. Right. Like, you know, when he meets Joe, he's like, hey, we're both French. This will work out. And that's enough to trust this guy. Yeah. And um, the only guy with a suit in the entire town. Yeah. Um, they go on the truck. He's, uh, or, uh, no, he uh, he sees an opportunity to make a bunch of money. Yeah. Um, what he will end up doing with that is anyone's guess. I think, Nicole, your guess is as good as anyone's. Yeah. I, I, so that seems like something he would do. Yeah, so spoiler word, if you have a um, fucking Mario dies on the truck drive back to the town without the glass, nitroglycerin. Yeah. From driving erratically. Well, and In driving erratically because he's so excited about yes. living. Yeah. I made it. <laughs> I made it. This is so cool. It's worth dying. This is worth dying for. Yeah. And this is just this rap. This puts a bow. The thing I didn't want to say yeah. during the scene. I mean, Ryan, you had said that you thought it was a little too neat that Joe and Mario basically make up. I don't think they did. I think Mario felt sad because that was the right thing to feel at that moment. Now, I I do think, once again, I thought it was, once again, if you disembodied it and, you know, you had the body of a dying man next to you that you were responsible for, I don't know if you felt it because it was socially right to do so. I do. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah. <laughs> I think that's exactly why it happened. Yeah, like I said, I don't... Because I don't... there was no way for him to seem cool in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> there was no out. And like I said, it had he made... It had. Mario made it back to that town. I feel 100% certain he would have piddled all that money away in about a week and just been in the exact situation. No, but it's it's the same. How do you get there in the first place? Bad choices. That's yeah. how everyone fucking gets there. No, and I... how did he not make it back to town in a truck not full of nitroglycerin <laughs> with the money? Bad choices. Uh, he's... Look, the, there's He's um, a loser. There's <laughs> yeah. I'm not disagreeing. With that. I'll, I'll absolutely give it to you. That uh, that point, but maybe uh, maybe what the larger sense I was trying to get out of this, which is that you know you have you have this sense, and we've seen it in kind of the in in people that have to go through extreme situations together. There has to if you do not feel this innate sense of loyalty that we are in this together, come hell or high water, and I will drag you through this fucking thing with me. That. The idea that that the person dragging someone else along with them who doesn't want to go through this together, the person who drags that unwilling participant is displaying the loyalty that they feel they that, that you should show in that situation. And I do think that in, in that weird sense, Mario is loyal to Joe. He is not going to let him get out of the situation. And, I mean, we see this logic, you know, per, you know demonstrated in people that are in the military. It's classic... You know, it's classic full metal jacket brainwashing kind no, of ideas, it is, and that, but it is a perverse but very powerful sense of loyalty that gets 
brought into these kinds of situations because we've talked before I mean, we, in our private conversations about, you know, there's an everyday morality, but then there is a different kind of morality of people that face death, extreme situations. I mean, there's just a different level of, a different idea of virtue, honor, and loyalty and people that have to regularly face those kinds of harrowing challenges. And I don't think it's right to compare the two to a certain extent. Well, okay, I, I think it's two different types. Okay, I, I keep coming back to, you know, Joe should have never been on this trip anyways. And O'Brien calls him, he's like, you're too old to be doing stupid shit like this. This is a young person's job. And it's military people that work together that take on these, you know, these... Uh, these dangerous situations, like, head-on, like, that's the kind of mentality you have to have. And Joe was too old to have that mentality, and Mario never had it anyways. He was loyal to Joe to a certain extent because they were both French, and they seemed to hit it off real good initially. Mm-hmm. But they not, both whistle. No, yeah, but <laughs> both of those guys should never have been on this trip because what you needed were the people that would be loyal to each other and stick it out to work through the situation and neither Joe nor Mario were doing were were those people and yet only they made it and that's what's disappointing Conundrum. <laughs> look i mean i guess you know the oil the oil company got their nitroglycerin so the the thing was a success ultimately from the capitalist perspective and i guess Always that's is. all that really matters because <laughs> these people these people were expendable to begin with. The and house always wins. Yeah. So the house won, and uh, there, there you have it. Is that a foreign it. film trope? The house, yeah. Oh, it's just bad. Well, no, yeah. the fo- okay, so the foreign film trope here is that, you know, any kind of, like, 40s, 50s, 60s, artsy, foreign film, everybody dies in the end, whether they need to or not. But you can depend on it. And you can depend <laughs> well, on it here. You can depend on it. In most foreign films that are black and white, that have naked children, <laughs> animal cruelty, cruelty towards women, women, and you know, low-cut tank-topped Frenchmen, neckerchiefs, yeah, yeah. and neckerchiefs. Look, I mean, they, they're, they're tropes that you can depend on, and this movie has all of them. Well, look, and it's and I said that this is only a trope because the you know the the exact opposite of this is the Hollywood bullshit, which is that the hero always fucking wins and gets the girl and everything else. You know, it's, oh man, it's, the girl was waiting for him, I'm but t- he was. Yeah. Too much of a dumbass to make it back. But once again, it's—I mean—it's only in opposition to the fact that we just expect. Like I said, uh, we we're kind of teasing about like why do you watch a movie over and over again? It's like, well, then why do you watch any movie? You know, in most American movies, I already know what's going to happen. The good guys are going to win. It's funny. I feel like that watching this one though too, because it falls into all of my artsy film things. <laughs> like it does everything it's supposed to as a foreign artsy film. Yes, I, I do. <laughs> the very, very last frame. I mean, the last five seconds of the movie is the truck barreling over, and it's just, I don't i don't remember exactly what it is a shot of, but it is either just of the mangled truck or, like, a hand or something. But it, it's a confirmation that Mario's dead. Yeah. And then it says Finn, and they may as well have had Clouseau, like, put a middle finger <laughs> out in front of the camera at that point. Well, it's... it's See, but that's how most foreign for films all the, end. For all the adherents to American tradition this movie has. Well, what, well, okay, throughout the film, Mario has been... The he, house won. That's all America needs. <laughs> for, throughout the film, Mario has this this punched ticket, right? This, this, this ticket out of his situation. And it becomes this symbolic, you know, that's why I'm doing this. You know, I've got this ticket. This is my ticket out of here. It's that, you know, it's that cliche that kind of goes through that. And of course, the last scene of the movie is his, you know, his bloodied hand, you know, at the in a mangled, fiery crash, and the last scene is his hand 
holding this punched ticket, dead man Finn were out of this French. You know, like, let's yeah. just, it's good. And, and I agree that it is, it is trite, but at a point <laughs> in my life when I saw this film, I was, uh, no judgment here, guys. I was enjoying and very much into existentialist philosophy. Now bear with me here. There is a sense, and to a certain degree, we are all driving around in trucks filled with nitroglycerin. I mean, you know, we could have an aneurysm and be dead in 30 seconds. Uh, we can be driving along and have someone run a stoplight and kill us. Um, you know, we could catch uh, necrotizing fasciitis and have our body slowly amputated over the course of two weeks. I mean, death and the immediacy and unexpectedness of it is something that we have to live with all the time. And we tend to assume that it will be at a long point in time later on in a feather bed when we're 80 years old. And, but it, we know for a fact, watch the news, that it does not happen for everyone. And, you know, how we react to these situations, the kind of ethics and life we try to live, knowing that it could end very, very quickly, or we could overcome an obstacle, we could overcome this obstacle, we could get through this one. We know that at some point we, we, we just don't know about the kind, you know, when our death will actually come to us. And, I mean, how do we take that information? I mean, how do we deal with that? I mean, the tragedy of human existence, in a very Nietzschean sense, is that we have knowledge of this fact, that we don't know, that we know we're going to die, and we don't know when it's going to happen. And whether we take a kind of extreme position that, you know, the this is a this is something that is ever-present, and we need to act like it's ever-present, right? This is the kind, you know, it gets spun into almost romanticized good ideas, right? The fact that I know I'm going to die is what allows me to be free as someone who just, you know, goes to Stardust Coffee Shop all the time and bullshits all the time. I mean, like, if you know this is the case, then, you know, are you really living the life you'd want to live if you were going to die tomorrow? And, you know, this kind of puts this real question at the forefront by just heightening the fact that this fear is a fear that is still ever-present around us, and we assume or we rationalize it away. And the thing about the wages of fear is that it does not allow you to dis distance yourself from that fact. And I'm just, I find it a curious intellectual enterprise to kind of see how, what this, what Clouseau kind of says and talks about this sense of this very, very ever-present knowledge that we have, and the fact that we just don't know whether or not we have this nitroglycerin strapped to our back on any given day. All right, point one. There's no way you thought about this more back then than you do now. You use the word existential more than everyone else I know combined. Point two. Yes. Um, I don't know. Are you still... Are, are, do most people... I was under the impression most people don't actually think that they're going to live to be 80. I know most people I know experience a lot of death anxiety just in general. Yeah, I was un I was under the impression this was kind of a one more year proposition until you get into <laughs> until you start a family basically is when that notion goes away because then you have people to concern yourself over. None of us have to worry about hey, look, that. Look, you're I mean, Ryan, do you do you think you're going to live to be eighty? I sure as hell fucking would like to. I do, feel like. But do you act as though that's the case? What? Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Getting off film here, okay? Look, I don't... I don't know. This this question exploded pretty far beyond... Well, no, it's just... I think that the 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 way that you can... The way that this can get abstracted out, and I think that the way that this film is relevant in a philosophical sense, if I can get all high and mighty on this idea, is that, you know, as you... As you try to see and justify your own life, not only to, like, to yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Anxiety is something that is ever-present, 
And the way that we kind of develop through this or, or you know, fear can be both things. It is, it is both, a, it can be a paralytic, but it can also be a stimulant. And, you know, the way that we address to this is, you know, this kind of classic literature philosophical sense that, you know, people live, you know, men live lives of quiet desperation. And that desperation is this, you know, truck full of nitroglycerin that you've got strapped to your back at any time. And the fact is, is that, you know, the point of maybe I was trying to make is, is that I find that this is something that people don't normally talk about. That, you know, you, you, if you bring this up to someone, they always give you that canned ham answer is what I was trying to refer to, which is that, you know, it helps me live and be free in the moment and this and, yeah, okay, yeah. But is this, have you really investigated it or is that just a way to rationalize your way around it? Because you have to be able to some sense disembody it because a life filled with anxiety about death is no fucking life at all. And we can either rationalize our way out of it, we can trick ourselves into believing that we'll go to heaven and live forever with God and paradise forever. I mean, however you see or rationalize your way through this, you know, it's just something that I find people find an answer to early on and just kind of stick with it because why revisit that kind of tension? And well, you know, the wages of fear have, doesn't allow you to do that. You still have to cope on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, but we got two sides of the coin because, I mean, Mario was obviously, you know, anxious while his life was actively at risk, but totally threw all caution aside once he thought that he was out of risk. You know, whereas Joe is, like mm -hmm. you said, he's the guy that has the constant anxious thoughts about his impending doom. He's also older than everyone else in this convoy. Um, you know, and it ended badly. I, I mean, I feel like at the end it doesn't make any difference. I, you know. Yeah, I'm not, I guess I'm not sure where, I guess I'm not sure where the movie is tying into this in a meaningful way. Okay, I'll tell I got, you talked about the differences in behavior and outlook between Mario and uh, when he with the nitroglycerin and Mario without the nitroglycerin, right? There's these the 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 coping idea is coping as you're going through your own perhaps internal wages of fear about this impending idea. But then once again, once you've kind of relieved yourself from this, right? It's it's it can be, and people don't react the same way that when they're actually going through their own internalized wages of fear. There there is this separation between how I behave and how I think and how I emotion how my emotional existence is. When I find myself, you know, concerned or ruminating on this issue or, you know, when I feel when I feel the nitroglycerin strapped to my mm -hmm. back. But then a lot of us, I think, uh, through one way or another, just kind of, you know, step out of that and then find a way to be a little bit more carefree or, you know, find a way to, to live without that ever-present knowledge of it as well. And I think that Mario kind of dis, you know, disembodies that concept, embodies that concept very, very well. And... You know, existentialism is a way that kind of say that, you know, there is this, I mean, ultimately, it's not, I get very frustrated with the way people identify that that style of philosophy, I'm not going to say the word, which is that people <laughs> think it's all about defining the condition, whereas when you actually read through a lot of those philosophers, it's about understanding and realizing that you can be happy within that. And yeah, because you don't have any choice in the matter. Yeah, so you gotta... nihilism is fucking boring. It, I, look, look, it's wrong to it's wrong to equate nihilism with existentialism to begin with. I mean, no, 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 no. But nihilism's the condition. Really? Ex yes, absolutely. Okay. Existentialism is about being happy under a regime of nihilism. Yes. Uh, yeah, we can we can belabor that point later on outside the wages of fear. But it I felt like that's where we were going. I mean, that's that's I'm I'm still not sure how this ties directly enough to the movie. 
Well, can you just say that it did, and then we can move on with it? We can wrap this up. Well, I mean, up. you could have said that. You were asking questions. Well, I just want... It's a discussion. It's not... I, I went into a rant, and the way I deflect a rant is by asking questions. By see, I, yeah, I don't necessarily see your specific point within the film, but I do... I do see it does reflect on on like the death situation in terms of age a little bit because both O'Brien and Joe who are older both reflect on like you know the you know ephemeral nature of their existence and the fact that they have less time just by the nature of them being older like they reflect on it much differently than the younger crew that scarcity is, is value yeah um you know so so whereas the, you know, the, the German and Luigi and Mario, like, you know, they're young enough that they can not necessarily, I mean, they're worried when they're, they know that their physical lives are in danger, but they're not worried about it all the time. Where like the, the men in the movie that are more closer to their twilight do reflect on the fact that that is an ever-present fear in yes. their life. Like, But Luigi doesn't. Not, no, that's what I say. He's younger. Exactly. He's younger. He's younger than Joe and O'Brien. Like, Luigi ends up being... But he's actually the one that, that has a terminal illness. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's the most carefree of the bunch. Yes, because he, he has that direct threat. I mean, he, to a certain extent, while O'Brien and Joe are old, Luigi, in a very catch-22 sense, uh, 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 uh. Is, is even older because, he, you know... Luigi is going to die if he continues his situation within a year. He has that sentence put upon him. And in a sense, he is allowed to be a little bit freer, which is that, you know, he has less to lose by going on this mission. He's dead anyway, and he might as well, if he can get through this, have a little bit more time on the outside of it by being able to get away and maybe just live a couple years longer feel, than he would have otherwise. I feel like mentality-wise, though, Luigi just tended to be a rather happy-go-lucky person in general, unlike anyone else really in the town like he just had kind of that persona well he yeah like, he was i mean in direct contrast to mario where mario sits by himself at the side of the bar mm -hmm. i mean luigi's friends with everybody yeah yeah i mean but that's the thing it takes that kind of mentality to do that because it's entirely possible to imagine a terminally ill joe not behaving this way yeah despairing his way to the grave yeah and it took a mentality like luigi's a to get him killed but b to um to have that kind of reaction mm -hmm. to a doctor telling him he has maybe six months to yeah. live um that's that is a <clears throat> it's even if it was amplified by that threat um that personality trait has to exist to manifest the way that it does i mean these people are not we're not talking about four people who are in different stages of life we're talking about four different people yeah and whether they are in different stages of life or not i mean again joe is way farther away from dying than Luigi is. Um, <clears throat> but it's so something they I think, think that weighs have more heavily so, on Joe, though, because of his age. Well, and, and But once again, these people are shaped by their own experiences. And because I mean, of who they are. Yeah, yeah. Bim, Bimba is, you know, as you find more about, out about his character, you realize that this guy has survived something. Yeah. Like, he yeah. has been through harrowing or difficult circumstances before. Yeah, he was a Nazi concentration camp survivor. Yeah, he, he has been through something yeah. like this before. And coming out the other side is, he says, if this is if this is what I'm going to face day to day, I'm going, you know, I want to approach it presentable, right? I'm not going to, you know, Oh, yeah, because he had already been close to death. Already. He said he had been, oh, he was forced to work in the salt mines by the Nazis for three years and was essentially almost dead already yeah, during and once that again, time. Mining has always been fucking precarious. Dangerous. Business and it's yeah. it's just something once again that it 
going through something like this changes somebody. And the way that they change is dependent on the experiences and who they are as a person yeah. for this. It's not just age. Yeah, and it's it, what you experience at that age. But it, that yet the relative. Yeah, but but once again, in the catch, you know, keep bringing this up because it's on my mind. But like, <laughs> you know, the the joke is is that you know you he's very you know he was very old when he died. Well, how old was he? He was twenty two. Uh, you don't get any older than that. I mean, when you fucking die, I mean, you're fucking old. And old is a relative concept, which is that old is how you define someone who is closer to their death than they are closer to their birth. And, you know, you the problem is, is you could be very, very old. You could have only one day left to live. And in the fucking relative scope of your lifespan, you're old. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's no, like, you see what I mean? So that that perspective does kind of come into place, which is that it is a perhaps... You can justify a little bit more recklessness if you feel that you've got more time to live it. And it's, I just am very fascinated. And when, and watching this film, I think that, you know, once again, these are the kind of themes that Kaluzo is kind of working through this. He, he, he sees people or it, he finds his characters in extreme situations. And the way that they react to this situation is very telling in a, in a larger, if you not, if, if you will, psychological, emotional, or even philosophical to a philosophical extent as well. And I like this film because I think it is, it is ambivalent, and I think that's another good trait of your, you know, of our of our artsy black and white French films that we're watching here. You know, these foreign films, and that, it, but it does have this kind of ambivalence that you know, and how these characters have reacted to the situation and the ways that they've developed. It doesn't come down and saying that you know, Bimba's the right answer, that Mario is the right answer, that Joe's the right answer. They're they're all dead. No, um, um. Southern Oil Company's the right answer because all these people, all these people are expendable as far as they're concerned. Well, so are you saying that the SOC is the hero of this? Is actually a pro-capitalist film. I'd like to think this is yeah. a, this is a revolutionary reading on the wages of fear here. This could be a moment in I'm, film. No, I'm just criticism. saying that they, that they won. Yeah. Look, oh, they won. Look, I'm those just saying were that tramps. they won. The desert, they got themselves there. You find no argument here from they me on that point. They got themselves there. <laughs> They as, chose to drive that truck. They fought for it. Yeah, this and is on. As far them. as the oil company is concerned, hey, yeah. you know, negotiate better senses. terms next time. Yeah, yeah. Really. <laughs> like O'Brien said, eh, dude, don't do it if you think it's too risky. Mm -hmm. Join a union or something. Yeah, amen, brother. And this is how capitalism oppresses the people in by winning the weird. Hey, don't through bitch. the lens of Clouseau. Yeah. yeah. Don't bitch it, if you it, can't win. In a weird mythical place somewhere in <laughs> Latin America. Oh, I did want to bring just on the capitalist note too. I had one of one of my favorite scenes is uh the beautiful shot of the oil of the uh oil oil well when it is like blowing up and it's on fire and mm -hmm. it's just this geyser of oil yeah. and just spewing out stuff all over the rainforest and there's two like like natives, like in their little loincloth and feathers and <laughs> indigenous things. Indigenous people. Indigenous yeah. peoples just sitting there and just watching this flaming geyser of burning oil like mm -hmm. destroy their homeland. And there there's like other Americans like on the job site talking and they're just stand and you just see like the shot of them just standing there watching this as yeah. this oil burns. I thought that was a nice touch. Absolutely. <laughs> I right. join a union too. Yeah. Anyway, ready to wrap this puppy up? I believe so. Closing thoughts, Who Nicole. Wants... Hey, listen, this covers everything you need in a foreign black and white arts film. <laughs> um, you know, I I don't take away the thriller part of it as much, but I do enjoy the whole setup. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so 
just on that note alone, I'd say, you know, give it a watch if if you think you can handle it. Uh, it is long. Yeah. It's not as long as Hamlet, but it it's might not. be slower. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The first half, at least. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit slower. So, um, dear listener, the next time you find yourself in the theater or watching a film and you find yourself in that white-knuckled, suspense-filled moment, uh, I think that it would be good to remember back, if you have watched this film, some of the techniques... Some of the tropes, if you will, some of the memes, I don't know if that's the right term, that kind of relate Probably back. Probably not yeah. the right term. But that, <laughs> Idioms, mantras, quotes, yeah, exactly, verbal yeah. ticks. But, <laughs> but one of the things that have kind of, I think, been the themes of at least my film, we've talked about before, is that how so much of the influence on, uh, 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 so much of the films that we watch today have been influenced and have owe a lot a certain debt to films that have come before it that have established a lot of the technique uh, uh, and ways in which storytelling can uh, happen in cinema. And I think it's just important to kind of you know be a student of cinema to understand that this has some elements in it that are very, very potent, I feel, in terms of filmmaking. And Clouseau is a very, very good filmmaker. You mentioned the the shots, there there's some shots that are very, very beautiful. Uh, the editing and the sound work is, well, not exquisite throughout. Uh, it does demonstrate some of the more uh, elemental ways that tension can be raised, not by adding or throwing things into an action sequence, but by actually stripping them away and leaving the visuals and sound and acting at its essence. And with that said, uh, Wages of Fear and also his uh, another one of his follow-ups, which is Diab- Diabolique, are some of the best uh, thrillers, psychological or otherwise suspense thrillers, made in the 1950s and 60s. And I highly recommend that you also seek out older movies in this style as well. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. I side with Nicole on this one. I think uh, if you're going to let a movie like this breathe, it makes sense to do it while there are more people around. I wasn't too keen on the thriller aspect of that. Aside from a couple of shots that we... We did discuss the uh, the reveal of the death of Luigi and Bimba's extremely well executed. Yeah. Um, the rock formation falling. There's there's good stuff in there, but as far as letting it breathe goes, it's hard to beat a bunch of deadbeats in purgatory. Yes. The way that those people are with their petty conflicts yes. that are over the next day. Yes. Um, I like that a lot. That's um, that's what I that's my favorite part of the film. And what's funny is for American audiences, they cut almost all of that out to show. Yeah, yeah. When and I think that's the strongest no, no, part I, of the film. But, but you'd have to because if you're going to make a movie, that's what a movie. Again, this gets back to what what are we in the theater for? Mm-hmm. And it's just most people are not in the theater for a mood piece. <laughs> I mean, at some point, it would be it would be interesting as an experiment to make a show that is as petty in its squabbles as the first hour of this as a TV series where essentially nothing of consequence occurs. It's just people hanging out in a place that is unnamed that people come to but never leave. Yeah. Like that would be... That's existential. Baby. That would that's, be that'd be all right. Stuff. I would I would consider watching that as soon as I get through the other 85 TV shows that apparently are worth watching right now. <laughs> I might bump it up a little bit. Nice. Um, someone's going to make it first. Yeah. Yeah. So are we taking a detour for the next film? Or are we going to maybe watch Catch-22 and just kind of like 
supplement that into the larger consumption uh, we, log for we could too? it's nicole's call for the next one we're gonna if uh if we haven't put out the all call for it yet i don't remember if we have we're doing catch 22 both the movie and the book catch 22 as a phenomenon i guess we'll call it that would be i i don't mind that actually being my pick because originally we were just supposed to talk about the book and i was the one that brought up the fact that there's it's an a excellent great excellent great mike movie. nichols adaptation <laughs> of catch 22 um if you have not seen it Put it on your queue. Oh. <laughs> so we'll just go with Catch we'll 22. Just go with that. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, get to reading. It's uh... Mike Nichols is mo- known for a lot of his other films. Don't be deceived. This is his best yes, one. This is his best work. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> and with that, Nicole, Ryan, me, thanks, everybody. Cheers. Thank you. <gasps>